This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, I mean, in a position where Ron DeSantis is already president, I would say he has to crack down on how many people are getting government assistance instead of getting a job. And we have to be honest about the fact that everyone is hiring. Jobs are very plentiful. There is no situation where companies are not looking for hirees. If you walk around any major city, you see help wanted signs, towns, you see that. we Ron DeSantis has to make Americans aware of the fact that the lie that people are peddling, or even on the right, that there are not jobs to be had is not true. And when you do that, And then you make it so that people who have been dependent on government assistance, not because they're injured, not because they need it to be their families, not because of that, but because they simply don't want jobs. When you make people aware of that and then you show how many jobs are available, you have to almost shame Americans into going and getting them. Because once you do that, you have the economy bolstering a little more and you have to you might have to use serious legislative or executive power rather to force companies to stop building in other countries. We might be at a point now where our industry needs American investment so much that we need to use executive power in a way that Republicans may be uncomfortable with in order to keep our economy growing and to make sure our GDP does not go down. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm sure everyone experiences this. Obviously, I go out there, I ask people questions all the time because I'm always trying to find out what's going on on the street level. And so we have a butcher we buy stuff from and his order from one of the farms has been late. It's a warehouse where they have 10 truck drivers and literally five left in the last month two on medical leave who knows what happened uh i mean there's a lot of people getting sick right now and so you see that happening then we have a restaurant that we go to once in a while who's now replacing the waiters with scan the qr code and order from your table and pay at your table and then they just have a runner bring you the food i was talking to the owner i said this is the most horrible thing on the planet i will stop coming here i will not support anti-human technology he said Said, yeah dude i can't hire anyone i am trying no, no one wants so a job. hard yeah so i'm tr- i've been trying to figure out what it is now i know during covid a lot of people shifted into gig work working for instacart the grocery delivery app working for doordash working for uber or uber less during covid but people were making a lot of money but the technocrats own the gig companies and now if you go on the national facebook groups which i track a lot people that were making three four hundred dollars a day are all of a sudden making a hundred dollars a day so it's not like those people are just stuck out in the gig world making a fortune the technocrats make sure that you can only make that kind of amount of money for a limited time to basically suck you away from your job but why aren't they going back to here you could work in dc in a restaurant and make three four five hundred dollars a night as a service worker so where do you think everyone went uh we're not still handing out a lot of welfare are we i think we're handing out more than we're admitting to i think biden is probably green lighting a lot more checks going out and a lot more of the biden administration is pushing for increased welfare than we are told or that we're even informed of by our own media and there's also a culture of people would rather try to start their own businesses and that's great entrepreneurship is wonderful i think it's great to be an independent contractor to build your own client list it's all fantastic especially for young people but there has been this 
these lies sold that everyone can be an influencer and everyone cannot be an influencer. So you're asking why aren't young people specifically going out and getting these waiter jobs? People are just are just going online and becoming influencers and going on Facebook or Instagram. And an influencer used to be pushing a specific product or pushing a you know a getaway or working with a company. Now an influencer is taking nice photos of yourself and just posting them and people will send you money for things. And that's, that's really what's happened here. So the influencer economy has grown so much and there's so much money in it. Young people can get enough from that that they don't need to get money from a real job. The problem with that is those jobs don't really come with benefits. You don't typically get health insurance or life insurance or 401k when you're an influencer on Facebook or Instagram. So what you need in order to buy a home, to build up credit, to get a car, to get a lease, those jobs aren't providing that. But real ones, and I say real ones because I don't I don't think influencers are seriously in the real job sphere as much as people who are working in industry are. Those industry jobs are going unfulfilled because everyone wants to be an influencer because it's easy. But when you're an influencer, you don't get what you need in the same way unless you're really high up like the Kardashians or a little below that to build your life and to buy a car and to buy a house and have a huge family. That is really interesting. You know, see, this is why I wanted to talk to someone who is actually younger than me because that that is one that I hadn't figured out. And it and it falls right in line with the gig work stuff, which you see a lot of people from, you know, 25 to 50 years old out there doing that. But again, like with gig work, you're quote unquote an independent contractor. You're actually an employee of DoorDash or Uber. They just force you to pay for your car, your insurance, and everything else. But at the end of the day, you're not actually building any clients when you're doing gig work. If you get thrown off of Instacart or Uber or DoorDash, and they could do it at any time they want, you did not build a book of business. You don't actually have clients. All you did was put 100,000 miles on your car and uh, whatever money you were able to save while you were doing it. And the influencer one you bring up is fantastic. And that has to do with pushing everybody into sort of this self-absorbed, you know, worshiping yourself industry. But that makes a lot of sense to me too so they've got these kids now hooked on this idea that they could be famous on instagram and so like you're saying they trickle them enough money through i don't know what sponsorships or advertising that then they donations and donations so they can pay their bills be able to afford to give their parents some rent while they're living in the basement or they go out and they get a little studio apartment and then the major issue with that is not just the fact that they can't show real income so they can't buy a house or that they might not have health insurance uh, or benefits the real issue is that once they hit 23 24 25 and their influencer role dries up they're done where do they go from there they literally will end up on the street in a tent. Like, where do they go from being an influencer? They have nothing on their resume to ever show anyone, nor any real skills to go actually start a real business. And, the, you know, when the internet bubble popped as well in the early 2000s, a lot of people were displaced from that. There were a lot of people who had, you know, put everything on that. And the influencer bubble will pop. It will happen. It might take 10 years. It might take five years, but it will happen because it's such a congested amount of people. There's so many people. The field is so dense that it can't possibly survive. And when you see an app like TikTok, for example, and TikTok is also a major one that lots of young people have got to become 
influence is on. When an app like TikTok comes out of seemingly nowhere and takes over a lot of the business that Instagram had, Instagram becomes a little less powerful. Eventually, there will be enough apps where all the people on Instagram that are really building a lot of their businesses and, and get the main amount of their money from, that app will get smaller. And apps fade. Vine faded. A lot of people got in music got their start on Vine. Tumblr was massive in the middle 2000s. That faded. It's still around, but not nearly the amount it used to be. MySpace faded. Apps fade. When that happens, it's usually because people are just bored and people leave and their profiles go down. If it happens to Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, huge amounts of people in this country will be destitute. And that's something no politician is talking about. And they may have marketable, you know, they may have social media skills. Some of them may become people in marketing companies. That may happen. I think it will happen. They might learn a lot of video editing. But a lot of them are just posting pictures of themselves or, or, or videos of themselves with food or whatever. And those people will be victims of the influencer bubble popping eventually. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, and that's the direction the gig work. And all, these companies are all owned by the same people. So the guys who own the gig work, these big technocratic investors are the same people that own the social media platforms. I always tend to believe things are more nefarious uh, so that the goal would be that they lay out X amount of dollars to suck these kids uh, in this direction, and then eventually they're going to pull the rug on them. I mean, you're going to see that, I think, with a lot of the crypto space as well. People that think they can sit around and day trade crypto, eventually they're going to have the rug pulled from them, as you see with a lot of the, the meme coins and stuff that were out there. People that make all this money, they think they're in a good place, and then they lose it all overnight. Uh, because in this digital economy, you're also not holding cash. When you have a, when you yeah. would cash your check and have $1,000 in your pocket, and that had to last you two weeks, Every time you were buying something, you go, yeah, I don't know if I could afford that second slice of pizza. I'm just going to get one. But when you're just using digital currency all the time, you're not really paying attention. It's like tokens in a video game. You're not really looking at your money. Now, do you see a lot of younger people in your space involved in the whole crypto sector as well? Is that becoming more popular? Yeah, it's becoming popular. And there's this idea that if you're not involved with crypto, you're kind of like a sucker or something. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I've seen a lot of cryptocurrencies come and go. Dogecoin was so high and then went away. You know, so I don't I don't really subscribe to the idea that if you're not all in on a crypto thing, then you're a, a sucker. Or you're not up to date in things. I think you should be knowledgeable about it. You should know how it's affecting the economy. Maybe you do some investments, maybe you don't. But it is not it is not at this point, I think, sustainable enough to bank your whole future on. And there are people who've made millions of dollars off of it, and that's great for them. But the average young American is not going to do that. And that's something that we're not really teaching. We've sort of glorified crypto to the point where it's how people think they can have their own massive windfall. And in most cases, it's not. And in most cases, it's not going to be a super stable um, coin. And that's something a lot of young people don't necessarily want to hear. And it's not fun for a politician to say that. So it's probably that, that information is probably not going get, to get out there. A Republican politician is going to win nobody over by saying, oh, this, this crypto coin isn't super stable. This cryptocurrency isn't <laughs> yeah. super stable. So you shouldn't get into it. That's not going to be endearing for anybody. So, so let me ask you, I know everyone is different, but in the young conservative movement, do you see, are, are younger people still interested in, you know, finding a spouse and having children and, and uh, buying a home like what, what we, people my age would call sort of this traditional, um, you know, culture? Are they still interested in that or are people sort of given up on that in the younger space? 
think a lot of them are still interested in it. There's still definitely a culture of getting married. And I don't know people still buying homes. A lot of people are renting. It's I don't think the buying the home thing is as important as it used to be. That's sort of been interchangeable. A lot of people are just renting apartments or houses. People do move out of their parents' houses. But that idea of purchasing a home as a marker of the future is not something that is as big in American culture. There are people who get married and live with roommates to just try to save as much money as they can. So that home thing is no longer the marker of adulthood but within the young conservative world there is still definitely a focus on getting married and and building families i just don't think it's as widespread necessarily as older conservatives would like to think oh okay so do you think the the homeowning thing comes from the fact that um i mean like like blackrock and these big investment companies are buying up the single family homes driving up the prices they want to turn i mean their plan like i said some people do have 20-year plans is to basically turn everything into rentals do you think it's because of the cost that they can't afford it or do you think it's because of sort of the younger people wanting to be mobile these days and be able to travel and move around what, what are you hearing coming out of the younger uh, world there a lot of it is the cost, but there's also this other factor of a lot of us think, and myself included sometimes, why would you buy a house in, in the suburbs? Why would you go do that? Why wouldn't you go buy a house with lots and lots of land? And why wouldn't you try to build something of your own? There's more a culture of buying a house that is in disrepair and redoing it that has a lot of land and trying to have your own farm or trying to have your own um, your own ecosystem there in the young conservative movement than there is of buying a house in a development. And just trying to make the payments for that a lot of young conservatives kind of look at that and say how is that a long-term investment in just the safety of a family how is that anything if you're just buying a house in a development whereas if you're going to go and buy a house for thirty thousand dollars altogether that needs massive amounts of repairs but has a lot of land that's a sounder investment that's the point we're at right now Oh, that's good. So you are hearing that from younger yeah. conservatives. I mean, interested, yeah, obviously not buying the Ryan home in a development, but looking out in places like West Virginia and stuff for big pieces of land where you can get a fixer upper or end up building something in the future. That's really good. I mean, so you're hearing that a lot inside the younger conservative movement? Yeah, and it's also something that a lot of conservative girls influence on Instagram. So you'll see a lot of, you know, a lot of girls talk about doing um, canning and making preserves for food wow. and all sorts of baking things. And that is sort of the the culture within a lot of the, the girl conservative influencers is pushing that. And there's a lot of people who go along with it. And I don't see it as a bad thing. So, but if you're trying to increase the amount of young conservatives buying traditional homes in the suburbs or everything that i just don't see that as recovering numbers wise no so who is who is funding the influencers that are these young women that are pushing canning and preserve i find this this is see this is why i wanted to talk to you because i have no idea what's going out there in the younger world uh like do you know who's behind this because that seems like a positive to be honest they're kind of on their own they're kind of just doing it themselves a lot of them start with showing for example if they make homemade applesauce i've seen this specific post that's why i'm using as an example they'll make homemade applesauce and other people want to know how to do that 
So they'll show a video and they'll do a reel on Instagram and then people can go buy it. And so there's this whole e-commerce business system that's coming from young conservatism. Um, the same thing with, with different types of dresses. A lot of girls making dresses and selling them and they're sort of laughed at by the, the left as prairie dresses and things, but they're very popular and it's gotten into the overall Instagram influencing market. So you see people who aren't even conservatives wearing them. There is this sort of subculture developing and it's not really bad by anybody because a lot of these accounts are only 5,000 followers or 10,000 followers, but they have massive reach. So they're not purchasing followers and people might not necessarily want to be on record following them, but they are purchasing their products and they are watching them. So there is this subculture developing almost in this homesteading, homeschooling culture. Wow. So, so you're saying they're basically, some of them are basically doing like Mennonite clothes and stuff and then selling them on say Etsy? It's it's like a little more modern than that. I would say it's more like prairie dress things and yeah. um, and just longer conservative things. They're selling them on Etsy. A lot of them have their own online stores. And that's wow. something that when I look at it, I don't see this as a foregone conclusion that we are winning, not winning anything culturally, because I see that influence then in mainstream fashion. So that that is happening. It's just taking a long time. And a lot of young conservative women will then follow those influencers. So there is this bigger community. It's just not politically active. So those girls are then not telling people to go vote for like Ron DeSantis in Florida. It's not a political community. So it's a little more ignored by the mainstream media, which might no, be good it, for them. Well, yeah, it's more of a culture shift. No, I, I think mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Because look, in the end, winning may not be saving America. Winning may be getting enough people to move to a place like West Virginia, building a wall around it and saying, F you to the rest of America. That may be the only option in the end of this whole thing. Because if you say right now that the numbers favor the left and then the largest numbers, not just in young conservatives or people that identify as independent, but they also lean socially left, you know, I, what's it going to do? A hundred year plan to reverse it and yeah. try to change future generations? I mean, the fact that the progressive ideology, it's not the way a lot of people perceive it, that you have AOC leftists and they've change the minds of young kids it's like this has been ingrained in uh the public education system and everything over the last 70 years so to be able to just change it overnight is almost impossible and when you have people teaching in the public indoctrination centers in the schools that grew up in that system now you can't expect that those people are going to teach anything different than what they grew up in and learned and were told to teach to the other kids i mean we've already gone multiple generations in into this system now. No, you can't. And, and that's why homeschooling is growing so much. I do disagree when Republicans and conservatives just tell everyone we'll just homeschool because that's not an option for a lot of people. A lot of people may not feel like they're smart enough to homeschool. They may need to work. So building up religious schools, building up independent schools that are private schools, maybe you don't have to charge lots of tuition, having co-ops, that is a better system. There is a little bit of elitism sometimes within the conservative movement of just saying, we'll just pull out and homeschool. Because for a lot of young people who have young families, especially, and that's who you're mainly talking to, that's not feasible. So if we if we pulled back on that a little bit, and we even said, let's invest in creating young private schools, let's invest in having these group learning centers, let's do that, it would be very helpful to young families who are now trying to dodge the ideological input from public schools. 
Yes, and I think people that are looking for these solutions, uh, I wanted to get into the uh, homeschooling because you've been involved with that as well for several years. But what people need to be careful of, too, one of Peter Thiel's minions, so Peter Thiel runs what's called the Thiel Fellowship, where he takes somebody in college, offers them $100,000 to leave college, and then they basically work out of his incubator, and then he ends up making the first seed round investment in your company. So there, there's a guy running around now doing what I've talked to you about in the past. Past, uh, in private conversations about potentially building an online uh, training academy sort of for homeschoolers. Now, one of Peter Thiel's guys is getting involved with that space. So who knows what they're going to be pushing over there. So people just need to watch out. But here in Frederick County, it was interesting because my wife is um, pregnant. We decided to go the route of a midwifery instead of going with the hospital system. So we're doing a home birth. Uh, We have a doula. It's basically my thing is if I'm going to talk the talk, I have to walk the walk and find ways to live outside the matrix. So that's what we decided to do. And through this, we have met this huge homeschool community. There's supposedly over 5,000 kids in Frederick County, Maryland, in uh, being homeschooled, and they have a giant co-op community. So our doula has three children, all homeschooled from day one, and they get together all the time, multiple times a week with this co-op, and there's one dad who's like a mathematician who teaches math, and another dad's an engineer, and he teaches science, and so I I find that to be amazing. It's fascinating. That stuff to me is uplifting because people figured out how to withdraw from that system, but do it in a way that, one, they're not going to stunt their kid's education, and two, they're not going to make them socially awkward because they're putting them into a system that involves other kids that are also being homeschooled. I know you have experience in this as well. Yes, and that's one of the things that the left can't really tackle. And you saw them not be able to deal with parents being upset in the Virginia elections with Youngkin. They didn't know how to deal with parents being enraged about not having enough parental involvement in education. And what I found so strange was you have someone like Randy Weingarten works with the teachers unions out there trying to say parents really need to give their children over to teachers to educate. And then you have this idea that parents are just supposed to drop their kids off and then have no other say within the education system. And after COVID, and I know this because I've spoken with lots of parents who saw this and, and educators, after COVID, when parents are, sat there with their kids and saw the actual educational materials, not the homework that was purposefully sent home, but the textbooks and the daily reading and the daily math and science and all that, they realized, those parents realized that a lot of it was crap and a lot of it was not helping their child succeed academically. So parents have almost lost this reverence for teachers that teachers had for decades and have lost this idea that teachers can never be questioned because they're these great public servants. And there are some great teachers out there, no doubt. But there are a lot of really crappy ones. And when you have a situation where parents have lost the built-in respect that they always had for teachers, which makes sense that they've lost, they get in a place of being industrious and homeschooling. And that is something that's growing. And the left is very worried about if we have an area where we are freaking the left out, I would say it is in the growth of homeschooling and the complete lack of care about what we say about te- what parents say about teachers anymore. There was this idea that if you hate on a teacher, then somehow you're you know hurting them or, or you're dis- discounting their life of service. That's not there anymore. Those teachers aren't protected in the same way. And that is something that freaks the left out. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, you were homeschooled, correct? Or partially homeschooled? For a part of it. For part of it, yeah. 
Yeah. So do you have, I know there's a lot of people that listen uh, to this show that are interested in uh, homeschooling. So do you have any tips for anybody on that? Any resources? I know you were in the process of working on a project the last couple of years involving homeschooling for people that want to find out more about uh, going in that direction. I would say my main tip is you can't have isolated children. So even if you're not in a place where there's a co-op, even if you're not in a place where there's a lots of homeschoolers, because you might be a parent that pulls your kid out in LA or in, or in New York City or somewhere that you don't have this great homeschooling community. What you need to do is you then need to put them in, specific, in activities outside of your house because you don't want them, as bad as it sounds, you don't want them to become weirdos. You just don't want that to happen. So you want to put them in yeah. some sort of, you know, whether that's music classes or painting or something because there is a truth in that homeschooled kids have in the past not obviously not everywhere but there has been a lack of social understanding that has gone along with that at least in the past that stereotype was true for a, a while and you want to keep finding that back because every time a homeschooled kid goes out there and is a functioning member of society you're disproving the mythology that the left has pushed and that you know even parts of the right have pushed that you need that to, that complete k-12 through education to be successful yeah, on the right, we like to make fun of the weirdos that sit inside their phone all day, and then when you try to communicate with them, they're very antisocial. So you don't want to end up with one of those because you lock, uh, had your kid yeah, locked inside yeah. the house all day. Yeah. So what? Now let me just ask you uh, before we wrap up. On that note, though, what did you use, or what did your parents use as the basis for uh, like the traditional subjects? Were you using like a, a, cla- a classical learning method? I think we were just using, um, uh, they were like state textbooks and things. My When we did homeschooling, that was just because we were moving and everything. So we were using just basic math, science, history books. But at that time, I I think that was, I was probably in middle school. We didn't have these textbooks that were as filled with this type of leftist ideology. That is also another point. This big push for leftist ideology is within the last five years. This was not as a parent when I was in school. We had grade docking. We had teachers saying nasty things, but we didn't have this overarching oppressive feel that is existing now. So when you're doing homeschooling now, I would say probably not even to trust the state textbooks in the way that my parents could in the past when I was in in middle school. Don't trust that. Create your own content or go to a co-op and ask them what they're using because there is a real push even in in state textbooks and with common core standards and everything to fill the textbooks that homeschoolers are going to use with the same stuff you're using in regular public school. And that's a trick of it that hasn't been exposed before. Now, Now, let me just ask you, is that, because I haven't looked at that stuff in a while i know you've been interested uh in homeschooling and obviously talking to young conservatives that have just come out of their teens what is this type of stuff that we're talking about in realistic terms is it all of the gender bending hating yourself because you have white ancestors or uh constantly trying to push uh black americans into believing that they're victims for the rest of their lives is that the type of stuff that you're seeing the propaganda being pushed through the public indoctrination center books 
It, it's some, it is some of that, but there's also massive revisionist history. So you have a situation where you're just not learning massive blocks of, of historical timeline. For example, when I graduated high school, the textbook we were using, and this was years ago before we hit the massive wave right now, my textbook only went up to 1999, and it was 2017. So we were missing a massive amount of time, including 9-11, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, the you know all the falls of the countries that have happened since then. So you're you're seeing revisionist history you're also seeing stop gaps of you're not going to learn this period of time you're not going to learn that period of time and then you have things like word problems for example get taken in and what they do to word problems is they use gender language within them so even a math question that's long division for example will then have some sort of ideological overlay and that is something parents have to watch in state textbooks and even textbooks from just your school district or learning materials from your school district because it doesn't make any sense to pull your kid out of public school and then use the same material they were using in that public school to homeschool. Yeah, and I dealt with that in my former life. I had two uh, stepkids, and I actually saw, because I was really hands-on, and uh, the older kid was going to uh, a magnet school that was like the best... Um, uh, one of the best schools in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was amazing to see the coordinated propaganda across all the different subjects going on at the same time. So in his math book, he would have a problem uh, talking about like, there are five pillars of Islam and then this, this, this. And then in his history book, he uh, had a lesson where he had to go out and recruit his classmates to join Islam. And so he had to go online, which ended up leading us to an ISIS recruiting website at the time, and literally pull propaganda from there to go recruit students. And it was like in every subject, science, it was all in these different books, but you would never know unless you think like me or you or Maria Albanese, where you connect the dots and you use critical, then you go, wait a second, how at one time does he have five different subjects and everyone is pushing this message and this was with gender stuff all types of things but it was always like this coordinated effort you're like wow this is not just some organic thing some little mistake something they put into one book yeah. they're actually using a coordinated propaganda campaign 